Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We've all been through a lot. Either we can be the victims of our past or we can choose to look at the world as this bright, shiny gift of a freaking place that we get to be here for a blip of time. I just want people to just shake their lives awake. You don't have to listen to anyone. Take that mask off. Find your true essence. Like, Go find out what that is. Take two months off. Go do it and ask those questions and read the books and stop trying to fit in because fitting into fucking what? It's all made up. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit cellularnutrition.solgar.com to learn more. 
Again, that's cellularnutrition.solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mickey, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yes, happy to be here amidst crazy times. <laughs> yeah, no, we will definitely have to chat about that. Um, I found out about your work by way of Emily Fletcher, who has been a guest here before, who was a huge hit with our audience. And so I figured if she referred you, that was kind of an instant hell yes. Um, but before we get into all of your work, uh, I want to start by asking you what I feel is a rather fitting question, which I know part of the answer to, but I don't know the whole answer from having read your book. And that is what birth order were you? And what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career and who you've become and what you've done? birth order what does that mean like what are you the older younger oh birth order okay good so i'm five minutes youngest because i have an identical twin sister <laughs> um but i have a third sister who's 11 months older so we're actually irish triplets um and i'm the youngest by five minutes wow <laughs> and how's that impacting my life i mean i think i think it's it's so interesting because i always got you're the first person to actually ever ask me that question. It's amazing. Um, and uh, I've, all, I've, I've always been treated like the baby of the family, even if we're all like literally pretty much the same age. And I also got a dollar less in allowance than my identical twin sister <laughs> um, because I'm five minutes uh, youngest. And in, in the Indian culture, you have like DD, which is like considered your older sister. And then there's Mudgley DD, which is like your next oldest sister. And I had to call my identical twin sister, my Mudgley DD, because she's five <laughs> minutes older. <laughs> um, but I also got the, the, the least amount of chores and I also, or like the easiest chores. It's just interesting being the, in the very, very, very heavy quotes, the baby of the family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my, actually, my dad called my nickname is Bonus. My my dad's like Bonus, come here. And I was like, because um, my my parents didn't even know I was going to be born until a month and a half before I was oh, born wow. because we I was hiding right behind my sister in the ultrasounds. They, they didn't even know they were having twins, so they they oh, bought wow. a house. Anyway, the whole thing was was a wild story, but yeah. So, I mean, having siblings, I mean, obviously being of Indian descent, you know, I, I always think about sort of, you know, the narrative of Indian parents of, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, mm -hmm. and how you could have two kids who get the exact same messaging and end up with wildly different life outcomes and turn out wildly different. And I wonder how that has played out with you and your sister. I mean, we're both very, very, very similar. And people literally freak out when they, they meet her thinking it's me or they meet me thinking it's her. And they're like, oh my God. So we, we, we're not those types of twins who like go to different schools. I mean, we, we were in the same, in the same bedroom for 12 years in bunk beds because they thought they didn't know I was going to be born. So I only bought a house with two bedrooms. Um, and, and then we went to elementary school together. They did, they did separate us in elementary school because we were causing extra trouble <laughs> together. <laughs> um, we did take tests for each other growing up where, you know, it, um, in elementary school, because we were separated, they had, we had different curriculums. And so like, I would learn one thing one semester and she would learn different thing the second, next, next semester. And then we would learn the the opposite things the following semester. So sometimes she would take that. It was just funny. Yeah. We had, we had really wild childhood. Um, but then, you know, we, we both went to Cornell. We both played soccer together. We both roommates together. We both, you know, left after Cornell, went to work in investment banking, both in investment banking. We both got jobs in the same groups, different companies and in investment banking. So 
our whole lives. I mean, in, in literally in 40 years, we've, we've, or the longest we've ever been apart is three weeks. Actually. Wow. Yeah. This actually, this Corona situation is the first time we're going to be apart longer than that. Actually in our whole entire lives. It's wild. Wow. Yeah. I, so I, this is a stupid question, just out of morbid curiosity. Did you ever pull a bait and switch on any of the guys that you dated? <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a that's a very obvious follow up question. And yes, I, mean, <laughs> I can't let you out of here without telling that story. Well, I mean, we've definitely been on dates, like you know, if, after the first or second date. Like, if, if you have any sensibility, you you would you would kind of can kind of slowly. She has a little bit of a huskier voice. Like she has a mole on her face that's different from mine. There's like a little tiny differences that you would be able to tell us apart. And eventually we're like night and day. Like our husbands are like from behind, they can tell us apart, you know? Um, But, um, but yeah, we've definitely, we've definitely both hooked up with like, I would say like five (laughs) the same guys in our lives, but not at the same time, obviously very different, different periods in our lives very much after we've gotten over the person or whatever. Uh-huh. It's just, you know, yeah, we're kind of, it's, it's just, we're, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not really a big deal <laughs> at all. So what I wonder is, you know, so I'm five years apart from my sister. You have like virtually almost no age gap. And I've, I've mm-hmm. asked people who have siblings some version of this question other than your other sister doesn't sound like she's that far apart. What is the difference uh, in the dynamic and the bond between you and the twin and the older sister? That, I mean, again, Fucking great question. I mean, no one has ever asked me that. Um, my um, my my twin sister and I are 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 just super. T- I mean, like we're BFFs forever. We talk like a hundred times a day. My older sister is like you know the Harvard doctor, Yale Medical School, like you know Johns Hopkins, like top of her class. You know whatever. She's like the, she's like you know the every Indian person's like wet dream basically. Oh, and, that's my sister. So I can relate. Yeah, and like we got to which I always I always felt initially I was like oh is it good that she you know, set such a high bar or at least like, like, you know, fulfilled my Asian parents dream, so that we can then go and become like scrappy entrepreneurs and not, but actually, no, it was actually, she set such a high bar that we've spent our, like, you know, our the whole beginning part of our lives, like being compared to her by our parents. And mm-hmm. so that was um, interesting, but she, she just, even if she's 11 months older, she just acts like she's 10 years older. You know what I mean? Like we're both, because I think we're twins, we kind of like, there's a, like a level of youthfulness. I feel like people are always like, wow, you guys are 40. You guys literally a don't look like, it, but also like, don't act like it because when you're with your twin, your whole entire life, it's like anytime you try to grow up at all or try to be different or try to change or based on if society's telling you how to be a certain way, we, she kind of looks at me and she's like, why are you acting like that? And then, or like, I look at her, I'm like, we're acting really weird. And so it's like, and not yourself and not authentically you. And I think we've both been able to be a bit more expressed authentically and be more ourselves and not be sort of like bastardized or thwarted by societal's conditioning and how you're supposed to act and be because um, of each other. And, um, and I think that's played a huge role in our entrepreneurial lives, actually. Interesting. So yeah. the other thing I know from having read the book is that you're part, part Indian. Your dad is Indian, but your mom is not. So what what is that dynamic like? Like what aspect of culture do you, of the Indian culture do you get? And the other thing I wonder is when you are raised in uh, an interracial family, like how do you think about preserving aspects of your own culture? Because I know that, you know, I think from having read the book, your husband isn't Indian either. So how do you think about passing on these things from generation to generation? And, and what, like what aspects of each culture did each parent provide you and which did you resist and which did you accept lovingly? Right. Great question. My, my, um, 
so I grew up in Montreal, Canada, um, and my mother's Japanese, my father's from India. And so we basically were tricked, like our, our, our Asian parents tricked us into thinking that, you know, you go to school seven days a week. So we went to French. <laughs> <laughs> so like we went to French school Monday to Friday, cause that's Montreal. Montreal French is like the native language. So we went to French school Monday to Friday, went to Japanese school on Saturdays and Hindi school on Sundays. And so we went to school seven days a week thinking like, this is what every kid did. And, <laughs> and that just certainly was not the case. We were so busy and we loved it. Cause when you're a kid, what are you going to do? Sit at home, watch TV and be bored and just, yeah. or you're constantly engaged. Like Hindi school, we, we played badminton like every, so it was in the morning, it was badminton all morning. And then all afternoon we, we studied, we did Hindi classes. And, and this is why my sister and I played badminton in Montreal at like the highest level. We, in fact, our senior year in college at Cornell, like after soccer season was over, this is the first time I'm also telling this story. Um, you know, after our soccer season was over, um, you know, we, we, we tried out for the NCAA national, to, to, we tried out for the NCAA championship, um, for badminton after having not played for four years, but because we played for our entire lives at such a high level after not playing for four years, we played, we, we trained twice our senior year in college after our soccer season was over and uh, we, we we qualified for the NCAA qualifiers, and then we in the qualifiers we won. We came in first place, and then we we then we then went to the national championships. And after like literally training four times total, like twice before, and then twice in between, and then played. We, we we I lost in the quarterfinals and singles to, to the champion, and the Rod and I lost in semifinals to the champions. And so it's like we we really learned all that in Hindi school, you know. And so that was so so huge for us and. In Japanese school, we, we learn, we, we, there's this thing called undokai, which is undokai is like this Japanese, like competition at the end of the year where you had like, you know, like, like the, the, you know, potato sack competition. And then you had like, you know, like apple bobbing contest and you had to like sprint to like then eat a donut and then like sprint to the finish line. And it was like this whole act. And then you won like a box of Kleenex, like all the, all the toys, all like the, the prizes were hilarious and ridiculous, like Kleenex boxes. Anyways, um, and, uh, and so we, and so, so our whole Japanese school, we would be so excited because we would have this like end of the year games that we, that we looked forward to. So, our, so there's always this sort of like, you know, little thing at the end of the fishing rod that we can, that our parents kind of dangled for us to be really, really excited about going to school every single day of the week. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. So what about passing on tradition and heritage? Because I mean, I, you know, this is one thing yeah, that I've yeah. mentioned this on the show before, like my sister married a Bengali guy. And the first thought in my head was, oh, wow, what's going to happen to language? Because we're Telugu, he's Bengali. Mm. Um, he speaks Bengali to his mom every time we talk to her. Me and my sister, basically, my parents will speak to us in Telugu and we'll reply in English. And I'm thinking mm. to myself, okay, that is absolute. And like, I'm 100% sure that for me is going to be the first thing to go. Um, right. especially if I don't marry an Indian girl, which seems more and more likely day by day. Okay. But, um, <laughs> Are you being pressured by your parents? No, 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 not at all. They okay. backed off. Fortunately, my sister got married, you know, two years ago. So like, no, no, but I'm was, saying, but to, to someone that's, that's with no, 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 okay, no, no okay. not at all. Um, I think at this point they're like, we just want you to meet somebody. Yeah. That's their, <laughs> I'm, care I'm a really good matchmaker. We'll talk after. <laughs> yeah. Well, trust me, there's a story you mentioned in the book that we're going to, I'm not going to let go about that. Like I yes. want to come back okay, I remember great. that very, there's no way, as an Indian person, there's no way that I was going to ask, not ask you about that. Um, <laughs> So, but I wonder, you know, from generation to generation, I know, you know, um, if you have, you have kids and so like, do you think about how to preserve aspects of each culture? And of, of course your husband is an Indian as well. So like, how does that play out? Like in your mind? Cause I imagine food is one of the, one of the other things to go. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, our kid loves Indian food. He's like, oh, spicy. You know, what's interesting, he, he, um, our nanny is Spanish. And so we, you know, he, we're, we're basically immersing him so much. Um, in, uh, he's two and a half. I, we have one so far working on another right now actively. Um, and, uh, so our, our Spanish, our nanny is Spanish. And so we, we basically are really immersing him in the Spanish, Spanish language. And then when he gets like, we started Hindi school and Japanese school when we were about four years old. And so when he turns about four, we're going to probably put him in language school as well. Definitely learn Hindi, um, potentially Japanese, um, or potentially Chinese, just depending on what, um, what's better for him, you know? Um, and, um, but yeah, we're definitely, I mean, our, our, my, my parents are going to have so many, they always talk to them in their languages just to keep just the, 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 the tone, the Japanese sound and the, the Hindi sound alive in them. Um, uh-huh. and, and yeah, I mean, we'll, 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 pr- we'll do our best to preserve the cultures a hundred percent. And my husband is a hundred percent on board with that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. The reason food came up for me is, you know, I, I made a, you know, when the iPhone came out, the iPhone 11, I was like, oh, wow, you can make a documentary with this. So I did. I made a documentary about my, the women in my family called Zero Recipes, like a 10 minute short about the <laughs> fact that all Indian women don't use recipes. I'll send it to you. Oh, that's um, so but- good. That's so true. Yeah, that's why I was like, you know, I was like, okay, wait a minute, how the hell are you guys going to, you know, there's like no videos, no recipe cards. And my mom's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. It's like, wow. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, <laughs> So, speaking of which, so you have had this really sort of multi-hyphenate, uh, you know, career. And it's funny because when my roommate found out that I was interviewing, it was like when we were supposed to originally do this, he was like, oh, dude, he's like, you're going to love her. She's like a unicorn of a human being. She's fascinating. Oh, my gosh. That's and crazy. I mean, just from having read the book and having talked to you, I realized you are. So let's start with the soccer thing because I remember coming across, wait, I'm semi-pro, you know, soccer player. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like advice that an Indian parent would give you to pursue as a career. <laughs> well, it's... It's so funny that you're asking this question. Um, my um, my father, when we were four years old, sat us down and said, Hanis, you have two options. Option one, you can do Bharat Natyam and learn the Indian <laughs> traditional dance. Or you can play soccer. <laughs> and you can, of course assume what we said soccer <laughs> and yeah. so we chose soccer it was an it was a choice and i think what's interesting about parenting and i've learned so much through that is like give your ch- children a choice and they have one or two because if you give them too many choices they might not pick anything at all and mm. so we pl- we picked soccer and our our parents became our coaches and they coached us from 4 to 12 then we got like this super serious french coach when we were 12 and then you know we we really really became you know, soccer players as our identity for our, you know, starting four to 30, I would say like was really our big thing, you know, and I would say at the highest, highest levels before I tore my ACL three times, um, that was in my mid twenties. And so, and then I played sort of rec league until 31 and then I tore my ACL for the the third time and then I stopped at 31. So, but yeah, I mean, soccer was such a huge, 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 huge definer in my life. I mean, I was my, I was a referee as my first job ever. I was a soccer referee. It was really wow. funny and fun just having to like control the parents as a 12 year old. And, um, and I just, it gave me every lesson in the book, I would say about, you know, being in a team about leadership, about mostly about picking myself up after I lost a play. Like if you lose a play and you lose a play and you lose a play, you know, every play after every play, you have to get your head back in the game. And I, and I had to learn it so often. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we had, we were, we were on really great, great teams overall, but 
you know, in the times that we lost, you know, whether if we lost a game that we had to be, you know, and it was such, if it was like a really, really important game, you know, we all balled our faces off and then we had to like, turn around and, and play again. And, and, and then that's, you know, that's a game, but then within the game, there's each, each little moment is, is, is a new moment. So to really get present to whatever's happening in the moment became so, so important to me, um, later in life as I became an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny because I'm the kid who basically fit the sort of Indian stereotype of no athletic skill, you know, most improved player on the seventh grade basketball team, <laughs> the player on the team. But then, you know, now I'm an avid surfer and snowboarder, which is, right. is kind of bizarre. Like, you know, I think I'd been convinced that I have no athletic ability, but it turns out that that was just something that I'd come to believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more people that I've interviewed and talked to, I was like, wow, nobody ever taught me that I could get better at something mm-hmm. um, if I worked at it. But I think that makes a perfect segue into the book. One of the things that you say at the very beginning of the book is that it's time we truly question everything in our lives. And mm-hmm. if things we're taught to believe don't serve our highest selves, even if socially accepted as truth. Now, the funny thing is, shortly after that, you followed up with the story about your dad suggesting you put an ad in the Times of India about (laughs) the fact that you're not married. Now, the thing that I've always wondered about this, Elizabeth D'Alto asked me once, she said, what do you like most about being a man? And I was like, okay, this is a really loaded question. I mean, my first answer was so awful that I had to have her re-record it. And (laughs) I said- I'm not going to share that. It was it would be a PR crisis in the making. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, but you know, one of the things I realized when I answered her question, I said, "Okay, let me answer this from a cultural perspective." I said, "You know what? I would much rather be my age and single and an Indian guy yeah. than my age and single and an Indian girl." It's such a double standard, and I totally. I look at how much pressure I've seen, and you got that like that. I mean, you weren't. I mean, you were nowhere near old at that. I know. Point. I was twenty five. At, at twenty five years old, my dad, my dad called us "kurisumasu uh, keki" because in Japanese, my my mom says "kurisumasu keki," and so my dad, with his Indian accent, copies my Japanese mother saying, uh, "Honey, you are like a kurisumasu keki," and uh, I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Because after the twenty fifth, you are old. After <laughs> the twenty fifth of December, you're old. After twenty five years old, you're old. And therefore, he was like, I'm going to put you in Times of India with the with in the in the in the listing. I will put green card guaranteed, and we'll throw in a color television. <laughs> and he was trying to be funny, but it was like you know, it's like a it's a thing. It's a thing, you know, as yeah. a woman. And um, yeah, being a guy like salt and pepper in your hair is sexy for a woman. It means you're like infertile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's so many double standards for sure that still exist today. And you know, part of the part of part of writing the book was to really break that all break that all apart. Like, why? Who says? Like, who decided mm-hmm. that? Like, we can change all of it. You know. One of my favorite ways to spread the message of our mission here at the Unmistakable Creative is through speaking. In the last few years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops to professional associations, large companies like Citibank and Meredith Corp, and even small ones on how creativity can lead to better working environments, fuel innovation, and increase the bottom line. So if you think I'd be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more, visit speaking.unmistakablecreative.com and get in touch. Again, that's speaking.unmistakablecreative.com. Yeah, I guess that is kind of where I was going is, as you know, I mean, obviously us having this conversation is a, is planting a seed for how to change it. Right. Um, mm. And, you know, I've spent time in India and it seems like they're starting to have like a real value shift in culture like I hadn't seen before because it was the first time I'd been in almost 15 years. Mm. And yet, you know, I know for a fact firsthand because I have a sister that this narrative is still pervasive. Like I still have my parents like, you know 
calling people on my behalf, even though I've asked them not to, or, you know, even when I've said yes, they're like, oh, and I was like, wait a minute, you didn't run this by me. How about having some standards here? You know, I'm like, I'm your son. Like, don't you have any standards for me? Um, (laughs) What I wonder is beyond having a conversation like this, I mean, particularly from a woman's perspective, like how do you begin to change this, particularly when you're talking about patriarchy and like, you know, what comes from old, you know, Indian culture? Yeah. I mean, I just think that, you know, it's like I, in my book, I talk about the triple Q technique. I don't know if you went, if you got that far to kind of like look at like how to, it's literally a chapter on, um, you know, how to sort of rejigger the, you know, talk to the patriarchy in a way that's not just outrage, you know, how to deal with things that aren't just like us against them, because, you know, the patriarchal mindset, existed since the Neolithic times. You know, I talk about that in my book as well. You know, when, when land got divided, when we went from, you know, hunting and gathering to then the Neolithic times to farming and people got to be more sedentary than nomadic and they settled in places, then all of a sudden this sort of patriarchal mindset began where it was like, this is my land and I own this land. And therefore I need to find a woman that's a virgin that, so that when we make a child, our offspring can take over this land that I claimed as mine. And just became this really strange, you know, and, and this is where the, 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 the sort of the scarcity mindset came and where all that, 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 that sort of that, that, that weird, you know, this is mine mindset came because before it was just like, you know, eat whatever you can and whatever you don't need just share with, share with the other people, you know, and, and now, and then, and then after, after the whole sedentary farming thing came, it, it completely changed. And so, um, I think that you know we, we we can we can easily just talk a lot of shit about the patriarchy and and say that you know you know how dare they do this and how dare they do that but you know what it's it's so ingrained in all of us including women and men you know like we want you know as 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 women it's like we want to sit at the table absolutely but then we also want you know to have the door be opened by the, the partner potentially sometimes or we sometimes want to make sure that you know, our meal is purchased by our, by the person taking us on a date. Right. So there's certain types of double standardy things happening. Right. A lot of times as a woman, I'm, you know, like I, I I pride myself on being a forward thinking female CEO, but I still dye my hair, you know, and I still do things that are like in the, you know, I still trim my pubes. You know what I mean? Like I still do the things that like are in the conditioned mindset of what, the male gaze like is, is conditioned to look at too, because it's so deep, deeply indoctrinated. And so, um, I don't blame like, like men are so deeply stuck in the patriarchy too, in that, like, you know, it's more acceptable. It is stated and factual that it is more acceptable for men to be violent than to be emotional. And, and that is not okay. And so, Um, and so, and so the way to approach the patriarchal conditioning is not through outrage, because again, we're all caught up in it. We've all been raised with it. And it's not just all of a sudden when it, and when it, when we decide that it's, it, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, um, it, it goes with my argument, you know, it supports my argument. I'm going to hate the patriarchy. And when it doesn't support my argument, I'm going to like it, you know? And so it just to, to approach it from a pragmatic place. And so the way I, the way I've you know, delivered it in the book is sort of having a triple Q technique and the triple Q technique is called quip question quit. And so the first Q basically is quip back. And so it's quip back question quit. And so the analogy I give in the book is an in disruptor is, is basically that, you know, when, you know, I don't know if you know the history of whole foods market, 
you know the story behind Whole Foods? A little bit, not really. Yeah. So, so John Mackey, actually, the founder of Whole Foods, is a dear, dear friend of mine. In fact, he's the godfather to my son, Hero. And, um, and he and I have spent so much time together. Um, just He's just a stand-up man full of just deep integrity. And we just talk so much about, you know, he's a staunch vegan, but of course, you know, Whole Foods isn't. And so what I asked him, I was like, well, you know, like, you know, he gets so much hate from like animal rights people. Meanwhile, like, you know, uh, anyways. Um, and so, so, um, he basically, I asked him, I was like, why is it that, um, Whole Foods isn't vegan and you're such a staunch vegan. And he was like, you know, when Whole Foods first opened, we used to be, we used to not have any meat, not have any coffee, not have any sugar, not, we were just super, super, you know, like vigilant about what we had in our stores. And, and after the, after the first year, we almost shut down the business almost literally went, we almost shut down. And so I had, I came to a crossroads. I had to either choose to meet people where they are and offer them the best possible meats, the most humane versions of food possible, but still incorporate that, but still then, but then, but then still promote the shit out of a plant-based diet or the other route is to shut my business down and get really outraged and angry that people are eating meat. Right. So he had that crossroads and he said, you know what? I'm going to meet people where they are and then teach people over time. And Uh guess what happened? Guess what happened? Millions and millions and millions of more people have adopted a plant-based diet, a mostly plant-based diet because of Whole Foods Market, even if Whole Foods Market offers meat and all kinds of things like that and coffee and sugar, you know? And so the idea is that like, can we meet, can we meet men where they are and not be angry about it first? And so if man's, if a man or somebody who's stuck in the patriarchy, it could be a man or a woman. If somebody who's stuck in the patriarchy says something that's of the patriarchal mindset, that's insulting or that's not cool, rather than getting outraged, just quit back. Like make a, if they're trying to joke with you about something that kind of like hits a nerve, joke back that in a way that doesn't make them feel like, oh my God, she's, she or he is so sensitive. Look at you being so sensitive. And then they shut down and that becomes about defending their stance. Right. So we're smarter than that. Like, let's just, let's just meet them where they are. Let's do the whole foods method. Let's meet people where they are so we can, we can actually convert them on a much long-term, much more long-term basis versus, you know, getting angry right away. So quit back. So you first meet with people where they are. And if, if that doesn't work, an example that I gave in, in, in Disruptor is, um, uh, beyond that as, as a quip back is, you know, there's a story of, of, that, that I talk in the book about this, this, um, this female fighter pilot and how, you know, every single time she lands the plane, um, you know, all these male, she's like one of the, one of the only female fighter pilots. And I, I was talking to, I had a conversation with her and she was like, it's so nerve wracking to land the plane and I have to land it perfectly because if I don't, all the other male fighter pilots will make fun of me and say, oh, don't put the girl behind the wheel. That's why you can't let women drive. And they would just make her feel like a piece of shit all the time because they're a bunch of macho firefighter fighter pilots, you know? And so she was like, she, she, you know, became so crazy. She was like, I was landing it for like, you know, women kind and it was so stressful and she would be even more stressed out and she would be even more bumpy because she would be even more scared about not landing it perfectly. So it just sucked. And so instead she, she finally started like quipping back. She was like, it wasn't my fault. It was the ass fault, you know? And it was just like, whatever. It was just funny. And then they were like, okay, this girl can hang, this girl can hang. And then they like stopped making fun of her. And, and then they eventually like kind of got in her good graces. And eventually they were like, yo, yo, look, let's look out for her. Like, let's not say mean thing. So eventually like they got it. 
but it wasn't by her being angry or outraged because we know it never works for us either, right? Like we were taught by our, our, by, you know, like do our angry Indian parents, does that ever get to us? Or is it when they're sitting us down calmly and sharing something, <laughs> right? It's like when they're angry, yeah. it's like, because I said so. And you're like, oh no, you didn't. You know what I mean? And, and oh, yeah. so, and so it's that, it's that same way. It's like, can we quit back with something that's funny or that we can, that that's sort of like disarming and, and start there. So that's the first cue. So you, you lead with quipping back. And again, like I got a lot of pushback from that being like, why should we meet guys where they are? They've gotten everything they could. They should know by now. It's like, no, actually everyone is stuck in the patriarchy, including you. You don't even know it. All of yeah. us are, you know? And so let's quip. Let's, let's meet people where they are. Now, step one. Step two is question. If, if quipping back doesn't work, they're still kind of really stuck so deep in the patriarchal conditioning. Then you go to question and, and questioning them is just saying things like, Hey man, you know, like. I, I know, I know you totally meant that as a joke. Like you don't say it like, why'd you say that? You don't say it like super angry. You just be like, yeah, man, that was like, I get it. It was funny. But like, I got to tell you that kind of like hurt my feelings. Like, wh- you know, where are you coming from with that? You know? And then you just kind of like, you, you, you don't make it so heavy and so intense, but you kind of just kind of just ask them a question like, Hey, you know, like, just want to know, like, where'd you get that? Like what, you know, what's, what's up, you know, like what's up with that? And, um, and then just see what they say. And they're like, oh shit, I don't know. My, I, I just, the guys all say that. And I'm sorry, did I offend you? Oh shit. I'm sorry. Like most of the time people will be like, oh shit, I didn't even think of, I didn't even realize, you know what I'm saying? Because most of the time it's just so ingrained that people don't even realize what they're saying. It's not even, it's just the way it's been. And all of a sudden it's like, it's a new way you have to ask, you know, like, in a yoga class to everyone for permission to like move their hand. It's like before, like everyone was dead. Like you just ask one time in the class and it's just like, everyone cool, raise your hand. You know, if you, if you don't like being touched fine. And now it's a whole separate thing where it's like, okay, people don't raise their hand. But now every time you go to a person, you still have to ask each person individually. And just like this whole thing. Right. But like, it's like, you, it's, it's like when you don't know what the newest, most like, like, PC thing is to say or do in this time because people learned the way it was back then. And so just to like ease people in and just acknowledge that they're not doing it from a place of malice. They're doing it from a place of not knowing and it's okay and it's fine. And so you quit back first. You do it, you know, in a fun way. It doesn't work. You question in a chill way. You're not freaking out. You're not asking in an angry way. And then the third cue, if the questioning is still not getting through and they're still super ingrained. And the third cue is, is quit. And not like quit, like I'm out of here. This sucks. You suck. You don't get it. Fuck you. I'm out. It's not like quit like that, but it's like, Hey, you know, like, uh, this, I think I'm just going to take a sec and I'll be back in a few minutes and, and let's, let's chat more about it. And you just take a beat. You just take a break and you calm down. You do meditation and you come back. Cause like, you know, if your blood boils or you feel mad or something's going on and you know, that's not going to get through to them or have a long-term, you know, change or shift in them. Then take a sec, breathe, and then come back and say, yo, can I have a chat with you real quick? You know, when, when you said that, I just got to tell you, like, it really, it really hurt my feelings because of this X, Y, Z reason. And you say it from a place of sincerity and love and kindness and compassion and understanding for where they came from and that it's not like they meant it. They'll be, they'll be so receptive more than likely because they don't want to, people don't want to hurt each other. We don't. People just don't know anybody and nobody was taught. 
what the no. newest form, it's like, you can't say he, she pronouns and you have to say them or you have to do it this way. And now it's not even them. Now it's something else. And now it's this. It's like, I, unless you're like reading the most feminist journal of all time, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like at what point do you know what's the right thing to say? And it's like, you know, it's like, let's just teach each other and let's teach each other, you know, and, and there's, and there comes a point where it's like, all right, like at what point does the sensitivity become too much where you're just like, all right, I'm just going to go find like some bros in, in the, in like the, in the bush who like doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, but also <laughs> there's a level of like, there are people who are sensitive and let us support those people too. And let uh, me find my people who I jive with. If I'm a super sensitive person, I'm going to find my people who are super sensitive. If I'm not that way, I'm going to find my people. And then the communities form and no one's talking shit about each other. Everyone's just getting along, but understanding each other because they ask each other questions better. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more.
Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think that that makes a, a perfect segue to talking about money in particular, because I yeah. think that you know, it was kind of interesting. You mentioned, you know, obviously as a woman, you want a guy who will pay for you on a date. And the reason, you know, I wanted to go back to that, um, is that an, an experience a while back where, you know, I, I was going through a tough time financially. Like it was just yeah. when we were starting things were, you know, and I'd started seeing this girl and, and I remember like, literally I felt like the reason that she ended things was because my money situation wasn't good yeah. and I cried in front of her. And you know what I told yeah. myself? I was like, I'm never going to cry in front of a woman again after that. Mm. Um, and I don't think I have since. Now, the funny thing is that, you know, it, one of my friends actually said he's like, it, he felt often that there's a double standard there where like he said, yeah. the moment you run into a financial problem as a guy, mm. no woman is going to stick around. And that's largely been, I think, one of the reasons I wanted to avoid. I've had a hard time even thinking, oh, I think I'm ready for a relationship. It's like, mm. okay, how the fuck am I ever going to pay for a wedding? Like, that's not a realistic that's option. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. So let me, yeah, this is why I want to pose it to you because we've looked at it from the other side. Now, let's, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you. So what, I mean, what do you want women to know from that side? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's like, you know, I, I think that if we achieve a level of self-love and autonomy and and an ability to like take care of ourselves truly because if we if women really want equality then then we should be able to take care of ourselves you know and so i think when we meet if we meet men from that place of hey i just love you for you and for your mind and for your heart and for who you are and nothing to do with anything other than that then there's a level of like oh we could both breathe together and from that place guess what abundance comes when we're at ease Abundance doesn't come when we're all freaked out about anything. If we're all freaked out about money, like I learned so fucking the hard way that if, if I was just so stressed out about money, it would be so hard. If I was stressed out creatively, if I was stressed out, it would just block my creative juices and my creativity is what really brings me money. Right. And so it's like, (laughs) and so it's like the more I stressed about the things, I'm just like, Oh, I get it. It's like, I I went to this, this, this retreat recently called the Adi Ashanti silent retreat. And it was so powerful. Six day silence, silent meditation. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like a Vipassana where you're silent for 13 hours a day. You're, you're meditating like 40 minute sits, five hours a day. And it's not like you have mul- multiple breaks. And then he does satsangs like twice a day, like a, a 10, a, a, from 10 to 11 in the morning and then in the evenings. And, you know, one of the things that he said was so powerful. And he said, you know, there are two ways of looking at the world. The first is grasping in desperation to know, <laughs> right? To, to know an answer. And the second is to be curious and in a, play, in a state of discovery. And so what he means by that is, you know, we can either be like, so, so we've been taught at such an early, early age that we have to know the answer. And if we don't, especially as Indian people, we have yeah. to know the answer to the math problem. We have to know the answer to every SAT. We have to know the answer to what we're going to be when you grow up. We have to know we have to know exactly when we're going to get married and that white picket fence house and who we're going to have our financial... Like, what the fuck? You know, it's like we have to know everything and otherwise we're, we're made to be wrong. And so, and then we, so then we spend our lives grasping in desperation to know the answer. And then, and then all that comes from that is stress. And then, and then that stress creates more actually like, like more, more of a, of a, of a torque or a sort of a pinch in the, in the sort of flow. Right. Whereas, you know, if you're in a state of curiosity and discovery and what he said was, you know, become at ease with the unknown 
And when you become at ease with the unknown, what comes from that is such deep relaxation and rest in your body. And when your body can rest and relax, like actually, truly, then all of your creative mojo comes back. And guess what happens when creative mojo comes back? You become a light that all of the things are attracted to again. And so it's like the only way to actually become that light being for yourself is to become at ease with not knowing and to then just allow your body to rest. And it was like, holy shit. Like that was like the biggest revelation for me. And I actually had like my thyroid. I've had, I've had like a thyroid condition for the last two years where my, my TSH, my thyroid stimulating hormone levels was at 0.01. And in order to get pregnant, you have to be at 0.26 minimum. And I was like at 0.01 for two years, couldn't get through it. And finally I did like, I, I, I basically took, I spent, you know, I took these last two months, I'm, I'm calling it my chrysalis, which is I'm calling it my time in. I'm not taking time off, but I'm taking time in. And I basically took this time to, to just really deeply check in with myself and really, really spend time, you know, just, just like, just asking the, the right questions. Like, what is, you know, like, like, what is my greatest, like, you know, what, how can I be in best service of myself right now? Like, how can I best be in best in service of myself? And in that, from a place of being in service to yourself, you get to be so much more in service to others. And we just don't give a shit about ourselves. We just talk so much shit to ourselves. And I basically, I literally had the most insane self-love breakthrough a, a month ago where, and, and it's so crazy to even say that as an Indian person, like I'm a self-love breakthrough. <laughs> what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? And it's just like, and it's just like, but I swear to you, it's like, it's not like a heady thing where you're just like, I love myself. I'm just going to say it a hundred times in the mirror and hope I believe it. Oh my God. Is it, I don't, you know, and you're just like hating on yourself. So I literally like, well, first I did psilocybin in the, I did a six, I did a six day silent retreat in nature alone where I did psilocybin by myself um, in nature. And in that experience, I really, really unpacked a lot about, you know, how, how, you know, I'm a gift. We're a gift. We're all, this is all a gift. Like we're all just living in a freaking, uh, it's like, this is all a gift and we're just so stuck in our own egos that we forget that we get to like wake up and take a breath, you know? And, and it's just such a magical world that we live in and we get to like feel and love and eat and taste and move our bodies and, and have sex, you know, and, and like feel be good, you know? And it's like, we just forget that because we just wake up and stuck in our egoic desires of societal preconditioned beliefs of what success should be. It's just, this is why I wrote my book. It's just like, it's all a fucking illusion anyways. And so, um, um, and so where was I, um, <laughs> where I've been was, known to do that to people. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my God. Um, and so, and so, uh, Oh yeah. So I was in this, I was in the psilocybin experience and then I came out of it and like a week later, I was just doing, I was doing my, my, in my meditation, in my meditation, there's this thing called Vedic rounding, where you basically start by doing 15 minutes of yoga poses of asanas of like yoga, you know, poses and 15 minutes of asanas. And then you do five minutes of pranayama where you're doing breathing in, you know, from each nostril, you know, you're doing like, you know, pranayama. And then I do 20 minutes of, of meditation where I'm just complete still Zen meditation 
And then I do a 10 minute lie down where you're just doing Shavasana for 10 minutes. So it's this whole beautiful, it's called a Vedic round. And so I was doing this Vedic round, you know, I was in my Vedic rounding and I was, and I was doing like, uh, just a, a warrior one pose and in my warrior one pose. And this, again, this sounds so freaking like, like woo woo, but it's so, this is when I realized that mind, body, spirit are so interconnected. And it like, if we can just get out of our heads for a second and just understand that it actually is real, it it's wild. So I basically was in my, I was doing in the asanas and I was doing, um, warrior one. And I just looked down on my foot and on my foot, I had, I was like, you know, on, on my feet, cause I played soccer for 30 years. I had these like bunions. I have these like, it's not even crazy. It's like these cute little protrusions off my big toe. It's like, whatever. And I would just talk so much shit to my feet being like, Oh my God, I have bunions. And then I just, I just went to them. I just looked down and I saw my feet and I started crying and I was just like, Oh my God, I love you feet. Thank you so much for like, Oh my God. Like, I can't believe I've been saying such mean things to you. And then I went up to my knees and I was like, I called my knees, my bum knees. because I had three knee surgeries and I'll call my bum knees, but I'm like, they let me play soccer at the highest level for 30 years and they still work. I don't have any pain. And I'm like, I went and I started hugging my knees and kissing them. And I've never done this in my entire life. And I like went up my whole body, went to my stomach after I had a baby. I was talking shit to my belly because it's not exactly the elasticity of like what it used to be. But like, who gives a shit? It's per- it's great. You can't even tell. But I was like, you know, we just, we, we do, we do to ourselves. I went up my whole body to my breasts, to my nipples after Hero, my son like sucked on my nipples for 14 months straight. They're not the same as they used to be. They're a little different, but you won't be able to tell. But like I can because I'm so nitpicky and so mean to myself. And so I just went to my breasts and they like, you know, I had big boobs when I was breastfeeding. They were so hot. And now they're back to being like, you know, little cute little A cups. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, and I talk shit to my, and I was like, I love you breast. Thank you so much. And I went up to my thyroid and to my hair that I was like, I've been silver since 22 and I would die and I would be so like, oh, I can't believe I'm great. You know, I would call it, I rebranded to silver. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm silver. Like, and then I'm like, oh my God, my wisdom, my wisdom's been trying to come out since I'm 22. And then I went down to my thyroid and I was like, thank you thyroid for not giving up on me. Oh my God. I went to my heart and I was like, thank you for not giving up because your thyroid's raised your heart. And I just went through my whole entire body and just lit. And then I like, literally rocked myself and held myself like a baby and cried holding myself. I've never done that in my life. And I, let me tell you something, the next week I went to do my blood tests and I went from 0.01 after two years of taking medication, doing every friggin' thing. I went from 0.01 to 0.4. Like it was if if that's not mind body interconnectedness being like we can heal ourselves if we it's like there's this book by Louise Hay she, it's a book called you can heal your life and she basically it's 50 million copies sold i mean it's an amazing book one of her things is like we have complete agency autonomy over healing our bodies if we decided to and it's like well you know it's like yeah you can heal your life blah blah fucking blah you know but actually if you could if you re- like, I sit down now in my meditations and I put all of my energy in my thyroid and I just let my thyroid just uh, like open 
and expand and breathe. And I just feel so much energy going to it. And I just feel so healed. And I'm like, oh my God, like my mind is healing my body. I am so powerful. Like I'm going to have this baby soon. Like it's happening. And I'm like, you know, and it's like, we just, we just forgot how, like, you know, we're kind to others. Sometimes we're not for, for, you know, and, and it's like what, you know, like what I know to be true is that the more I truly accept myself, the more I accept others. And the more, the less judgmental I am of myself, the less I judge myself of others. And, and it's in my book in chapter seven, I talk about that. I talk about, you know, the concept of, you know, like, let me find that spot, chapter seven, which is about hating, which are haters. Um, you know, we talk about, um, pull it up. Yeah. So like the, so basically how the book is brought is, is sort of broken down as a common belief in the disruption, right? And so common belief is like, haters going to hate once a hater, always a hater. And the disruption I have is like, haters exist within all of us. The faster we can catch ourselves acting out as haters, the faster we can go back to being lovers. And the idea behind that is, you know, we, we have a whole internal spectrum of, our ourselves, an internal spectrum of our emotions. You know, when we, when we like, and, and based on how internal, like how we are on the internal, we show up in that way externally. And it sounds so fucking obvious. Like, yeah, if you're feeling, you know, like angry or hurt or sad or insecure, anxious or jealous or envious, then more likely you're going to act out as mean, take downy, put downy, scarcity mindset, negative. You know, the more you're happy, fulfilled, secure, inspired, self-loving, the more likely you're going to be kind, complimentary, abundant to others, lifting up, generous, right? It's just obvious. And yet we, we keep forgetting that, like that if we like, you know, what, 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 what Louise Hay said, she said that like, if you could, you know, when we really love ourselves, everything in our life works. When we love ourselves, everything in our life works. And that's the crazy other thing. I'm just like, oh man, like I've been, you know, my father, my whole life is like, what is this self-help bullshit? You know, it's like psychology, like, you know, like, what is this life coaching? I could teach you life coaching tomorrow, you know? And it's like, it's been so much of that, you know, in my, 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 so I've always been kind of like poo-pooing to this world. And then I started seeing a coach almost seven years ago and it's completely changed my life. And if you read my book, Disruptor, she's in every chapter of my book of like the learnings I've had from her and how much, how many lessons I've learned from her. And she's the one that told me that I have, you know, that I could, that I can heal myself. I really, really freaking believed it, you know? And, um, and it's actually interesting. One thing I almost forgot to tell you is that my husband, Andrew started a really, really epic men's retreat called Junto. Have you heard of it? I think I have actually. Yeah, Junto. And basically it's a gathering for men to basically discover and and be super, super um sort of powerful in their emotions. It's to master their emotions and and master, you know, the, the what what being a man is in today's world. And he's led, you know, dozen, you know, over a dozen retreats with, you know, change the lives of like, you know, a hundred over a hundred guys already. And it's this life changing emotional mastery, you know, program for men. It's a retreat where you're in nature with a bunch of guys, you make a bunch of best friends with guys. And I just feel it's so in line with the climate today 
where it's like, we like, we're, we're, we're just, it's like men don't know how to act. Nobody knows how to act in today's climate. Men don't know how to be emotional, how to share their feelings, because if they do, are they too emo? If they don't, are they too, are they like part stuck in the patriarchy? Like nobody knows how to be. And so in order to really sort of like understand what it's like to be a man in today's world, like it's a really, really cool thing. I would definitely check it out. I'll connect you to him actually. I think you, I think you would really love it. Hey, it's Trini. I hope you're liking this episode of The Unmistakable Creative. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. All right. So speaking of, of Andrew, I think this kind of makes a, a perfect segue to kind of where I want to start wrapping things up. I think that this really struck me when I got to this section of the book. You said, as long as everyone and everything is consensual, why is it not societally acceptable to try different new things with different partners? Andrew and I are happily monogamous and have been for six years, and it might be this way forever, but we can't fully predict the future. And why mm-hmm. should anyone else care what we do in various times of our relationship if everyone involved consents? Now, the reason that struck me in particular is because that is so contrary to anybody who grows up in an Indian family. Totally. Uh, so I wonder, one, did your parents, you know, did your dad read that section of the book and what was his response? Um, but yeah, that that really is, is you know, I'll kind of tee it up to you for discussion because like, like I said, as an Indian person, that was probably one of the things that struck me most about that section. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because... Um, you know, I was, I just ran, I ran to, I was in, I was at the playground with my, with my kid, um, a couple of days ago and I was talking to my, my father, you know, on speakerphone and that there's a father who's next to me pushing a, you know, pushing his kid on, on the swing and I was listening to the conversation and after we got off, he was like, wow, I can't believe you can talk to your, your, your family like that, your, your parents like that, because like, and he's like a white guy, you know, and he's like, I don't even, I have a, such a formal relationship with my parents and I just don't have this open relationship with them. And it's just, you know, I really want that. And for me too, for the, my entire life, I didn't think, I didn't think my parents would be down to have these conversations because he's Indian and she's Japanese and they're so traditional in their upbringing. But if like anything else, just like the triple Q technique, the way you can change a mindset, if you do it in a way that's like, not shoving it down their throats, but just showing them what you're doing and how it's impacting your life. You know, I talked about Burning Man for, I've been going to Burning Man for almost a decade now. And my dad is like, but is this Burning Man, you know, first world, you know, like Barty. And, and basically like, I was like, no, I, and now he's like, can I come to Burning Man? You know? And so, so I never was like, you should come daddy and change your life and change your perspective. And you should see what it's going to be like, because you need to open your, open your eyes. And, and, you know, it's just like, no, I'm just going to go and do my thing. And you can just see how it impacts me and how it makes me come alive more. And if you see me come alive more then Maybe it'll inspire you to come alive more. And so like one thing I heard, you know, from Adia Shanti and from, you know, just reading so many of these, these books from, you know, in this, in the last couple of months is that like, we cannot like, like trying to change anyone's perspective is like trying to change the weather. You know, we can't shove anything down anyone's throat. Even if we tried, we can't shout anything down anyone's throat. If we tried, I've tried, I'm Indian. I have it in me. I have a sharp tongue sometimes. And I know that it does not work. And I always, I now, like if my sharp tongue old pattern comes out, I turn immediately and apologize. I'm like, Oh, that was an old pattern. I'm sorry. You know, like, like, 
my bad, you know, like this is why I'm thinking what I'm thinking or whatever. And I have to like explain myself with, with a really more thoughtful response because we think that sometimes by shouting it's going to get through, but it just doesn't. And we think that by being, you know, because I said to him, because I told you so, and because this is the way it is, is going to work. And this is, you know, this is the new way of, of doing things in this world is going to work. It doesn't. And so, and so by being an example and by being the sort of the, 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 you know, you know, by showing and not telling, it just works so much, so much better. And so I think that with my parents, like writing all these things in my book and having him read it, my mom read it, they're like, oh my goodness. You know, they kind of like, they kind of like, you know, but then I'm sure my father's like deep down being like, I want to try this, you know, like I'm sure my mom wants to be like, oh, I wish I could kiss another guy. You know, it's like I've one man for 70 years. I'm kind of over the shit, you know? And I just think, I just think, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's like what I learned is that by being an example, it just gives other people permission. And that's why like I wrote, you know, Disrupt Her was written so that it's like a permission slip to explore money, to explore career, to explore the patriarchy, to explore, you know, your relationships, to explore the dating world, to explore the culture of complaining, to explore you know, the, the, the desire for stuff, the, the, you know, the career path, you know, becoming in a serious as you grow up, you have to get this. It's like all these things are that, that we think are true in the world are all made up. And that if we decided for ourselves that it can all be made differently, wow, wow, can our world change and can everything in our lives changed if we chose it for ourselves. Because while we're putting on these masks, trying to fit into society or our parents' wishes or what we're supposed to be or what we think we're supposed to be, we're just never going to be happy. And then we're going to have all this negative self-talk and self-hate. And then we're going to hate on others and judge others and troll others and, and be gleeful when, when someone else gets taken down because it makes themselves feel less small. And there's just all this just negative spiral, these negative clickbait bullshit headlines that, you know, I've been a victim of. It's just like all this shit comes up and it's like, fuck that. This can all be, so if you have, you can look at the world and be like, ugh, it's raining again. Or like, oh my God, the plants are getting water. They're so happy. They're drinking. You can look at the world from like, you know, it's like my, my girlfriend, the other day was like, oh my God, I witnessed, you know, my meditation, my, my, my yoga teacher have a heart attack in front of me and he died. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, and she's like, and we rushed him to the hospital. And then, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that he died. She's like, well, no, well, they brought him back to life. So he's fine now, but he died for a few minutes. And he, she was like, all like, did you? and I was like, oh my God, he lived. Wait, he lived. Oh my God. This is amazing. Holy shit. Like what a fucking miracle. You, you like helped him. Like, you know, it's like she held his feet and she was like, come back, come back. And then he fucking came back and all she was focusing on that he died and coronavirus and everyone's dying. Everyone's scared. And I was like, this is the best news I've heard ever. And it's just like, how do you choose to look at the world, glass half full, glass half empty. It's a freaking old adage, but it's true. We just, because of all this negative inputs and it all starts with us. If we feel shitty on the inside, if we feel like we're not good enough and it's always that, we're not good enough. I'm not good enough to love. No one's going to love me because I'm not good enough because we've just gotten that from society, from our parents, from fucking everyone in the world. And it's like, no, 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 no. I get to choose who I want to be. And guess what? The other thing that I read and learned is that 
every moment is a new opportunity. And, and like our egos love being the victim of our lives. Our egos love the rear view mirror because it's like when I was a kid and I didn't have money. And when I was a kid and I was, you know, like, you know, beaten. We've all had these stories. I was sexually assaulted as a fucking whatever. I had all, not as a kid, but as a, in college, like, I, you know, I, I had a, whatever. I had a middle-class epic, you know, my, my, my father was amazing, you know, but Indian fathers are also tough. You know, it's like, we've, we've had, I, we've all, we've all been through a lot, like, you know, and so it's like either we can be the victims of our past or we can choose to look at the world as like this bright, shiny gift of a freaking place that we get to be here for a blip of time. And so I just like, I just want, I just want people to, to just shake their lives awake. And, and, and that's why I wrote this book. I just want, I just want this to be like this, this like, God, you, 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 you don't have to listen to anyone. Stop. Take that mask off. Like find your true essence. Like no, go find out what that is. Take two months off. Go freaking like, go do it and, 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 and ask those questions and read the books and, 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 and just, and stop trying to fit in because fitting into fucking what it's all made up. That's it. (laughs) Wow. Uh, it's funny because I normally, I would totally not ask another question based on that whole monologue, but I have to have you tell this one story because it was my favorite one from the entire book. Yeah. Um, the yearbook. You have to share that with us because I thought I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm totally going to do that when I'm dating somebody. Yeah. So, uh, my husband, Andrew, by the way, when I met my husband, he was 24, I was 31. Okay. So the whole younger man, older man, get an older man. It's just bullshit. You can marry whatever age you want. Age is just a number who gives a shit. So start with that. Don't even care. You know, second of all, when I met my husband, he was 24. He started a nonprofit called Dreams for Kids DC. It was amazing helping kids with disabilities learn how to play play extreme sports. Gorgeous work. He had $500 to his name and $20,000 in debt. That's when I met him and I fell in love with him and he, and we had the biggest heart and we just loved each other. I didn't give a fuck about anything, but the fact that his head and heart was in the right place everything is, it would fall. Everything is going to fall into place if your head and heart are in the right place and spirit. And so it's just like, we don't, it's like we live in this world where we're, we're served all these ads where it's like buying him that stupid handbag. Like no one cares if they're going to be off working all the time. Would you rather have somebody who is present and loving and wants to be a good partner than someone who's out making the Boku dinero and then never home and treating you like shit. It's like, because you get to have a status of, again, societally made up things. You have more things in your house. You get to sit alone next to in a cold sadness. You know, it's like (laughs) all of it is just bullshit. And so it's all a consumerist. I, it's again in my book. It's like, what, how did this consumerist mentality come from? Where did it come from? How did we even get it, get into this whole thing in the first place and how we can get out of it? Um, but so, so my, my husband, when, when we started dating and, you know, you know, we're, we're both entrepreneurs. We're both, we're both doing a lot. He started, you know, he started a really cool company now called Tribute. But when we, when we, um, when we started dating, he, every year, he started putting these these books together where um these books would be these these like yearbooks basically he would take all the pictures from the year and all the little quotes that he would send me throughout the year and and he put them all into these beautiful photo album books and and he just you know and he would 
every year, like for the last now 10 years, it'll be our 10th year. And it's a surprise to me. Like I keep thinking like, oh, there's no way he's going to make this, this incredible thing for me again. And, and every year he delivers it to me in this beautiful historic, like it's, it's just like, you know, it, it memorializes our year because everything's now digital. So we don't have any picture books anymore. No one has albums anymore, but he just spends the time and puts all these books together and deliver, presents it to me at Burning Man every year as, as, as our, as our gift is where we met, where we fell in love, where we got married. We got married within three days of falling in love at Burning Man. And we've been together ever since. Anyways. And so he presented it to me at Burning Man every year. And then now every time we get into a fight, um, he brings out these books and like puts them on the bed. And basically the idea behind that is that like, you know, he's like, is, 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 is this one fight the totality of our relationship or is all of these memories, the, 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 the parts that, that, that are the most important. He says to me all the time, he's like, Mickey, are we going to remember this in a year? Are we going to remember this fight in a year? We're not. So Maybe, maybe, maybe we should have a fresh start. <laughs> and we have a thing called fresh start between the two of us where every time we get into an argument or a fight and we both kind of, we go away for a second we, and we come back, one of us is like, hey, are you ready for a fresh start? And then, you know, the other person is like either, no, I'm not ready. It's like, okay, well, is there something you want to say? I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm now like in a place where I can hear it. So please share it. So then they share their their feelings and then I get to hear it and then I have to repeat it back to him about what I heard him say so he feels heard, understood. And then I share how I'm feeling and then he has to repeat back what I said and he has to share understanding of where I'm coming from. And then we were like, all right, we're ready for a fresh start. And then we have a fresh start and then and then we it's as though it never happened that like we never bring it up again that fight like remember the time when you when you said it's like it just creates little tiny paper cuts and it's like death by a thousand paper cuts relationships don't end from like big blowouts they remember they end from like a fucking thousand paper cuts and so if you can like heal the wounds fast as fast as possible these little paper cuts and then don't bring them up then you get to have a clear clearing every time and there's no more wounding to begin with. It's kind of like the whole getting the rear view mirror out and getting like the ego out the door. It's like having, having a fresh start means we're back to like first day of, of being together. And that has completely kept our relationship hot, sexy, fun, cool, and, and, and interesting. So, wow. um, Yeah. Well, I think that makes a really beautiful place to uh, wrap this up. So I want to finish with my final question, which is how we close every interview at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, I think the full, unadulterated permission to be themselves completely and creatively and... um, and, and not giving a shit about what anyone thinks. Amazing. Um, I probably could have sat here and talked to you all day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would definitely want people to check out my, my companies, yeah. like Tushy and Ben. I was going to ask you about all that. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you, your work, the book, and everything else that you do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now that I've teed that up. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm just super excited about Tushy, just especially right now, because it's just finally, like, I feel like there's this really crazy tipping point around the, the, you know, the, the notion that 
bidets are so much better than than toilet paper. And, and you know, when you, you know, I started a company called Tushy, you know, a few years ago um, to really, I mean, ultimately, number one, because I'm half Japanese, half Indian, and both cultures grew up with bidets. And we all understand how clean we are when we use fresh water, not dry paper. Um, you know, you know, the, the other, another quick analogy I love to give is like, imagine if you jumped in your shower and didn't turn your water on and just used dry toilet paper to wipe your body down. Like, imagine like, 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 would you call yourself clean? Like, of course not. Right. So like, why are we doing that to the dirtiest part of our body? Why are we using dry paper? You know, again, this is why I'm, I'm so passionate about, about my book and about this is because it's like, it's like we've been indoctrinated so deeply to believe that this dry paper actually cleans ourselves when it just smears poop around and you just sit on poop all day long, which creates so much, so many issues that infections, disease, like UTIs, hemorrhoids, like, you know, exacerbates hemorrhoids, like yeast infections, anal fissures, anal itching, all these things could be avoided by just using a bidet, which is just some fresh water. You know, and so, and then also from an environmental perspective, you know, we save 15 million trees per year on, you know, you know, by, by just using a little bit of fresh water instead of a gigantic, beautiful tree and all these trees. And, um, it's just the most hygienic, obvious thing that you can use. And, and it's not using the water from the bowl or the tank. It's using from the wall, the same water you brush your teeth with. So it's really the best experience. And I'm just really proud of it because it's not like those expensive Japanese toilets where they're like, they're like thousands of dollars plus plumbing plus electrical. Like ours is only $79 and it's just super, super affordable. And, um, and I, and I recommend everyone by the way, to check out hello tushy.com. Do not go to tushy.com. It's a very graphic anal porn site. <laughs> so go, go to hello tushy.com. People have gone to the other one and it's not, it's not, it's not a fun cookie to have following you, put it that way. Um, mm. and so check, yeah, definitely check it out. It's been a passion project of mine and, and, um, and we really see a tipping point now in, in the adoption of a bidet. So, so do check it out. I'm really proud of our brand as well. Um, and, um, and then my book, Disrupt Her, um, it's available everywhere. It's Disrupt Her. Um, and while it says, while, while it's called Disrupt Her with a tagline, a manifesto for the modern woman, it actually is for men too. And that's, again, a disruption in that, you know, in my book, I actually have a page, I, I, I don't know if you read, you read that but it says, you know, a note to men, you know, disrupt her as her in it, implying it's written for women, but he is within her much like man is within woman. Yeah, um, you know, the Bible speaks of man, Aristotle writes about man, and even Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and yet women read those texts too, don't they? So why can't we say her and woman and have men read it too? We can. So the idea is that, you know, this book says a manifesto for the modern woman and it's called Disrupt Her, but it's really written for for everyone. It's about disrupting your life, disrupting your mentality, giving yourself permission to really, really live your your loudest, most authentic, you know, like empowered self. So I'm I'm just so passionate about the message in the book and um and and you know and, and the service that it's gonna give to, to everyone. So do check it out. You can go to disrupther.co. I made a couple of videos for it, but you can also go directly to Amazon or or Barnes and Noble or any of the booksellers and, and check it out. Uh, the paperback just came out last week. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. 
With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.